think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like in Argentina, for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Kings of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 303 of Low Limit Football on this 31st of October 2020. I am your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, breaking news out of Spain this week. As some major changes are coming to Barcelona, we will definitely discuss them. MLS is heading into the final weeks with the Philadelphia Union in line to win their first club trophy in their history. Champions League and Europa League heads into match day three this week. As the group stages move on, we'll look forward to the key matchups this week, and we will look deeper into Man United as well as the world of COVID and how it affects our beloved football with our very special guest, Nipun Chopra from Sop Takes, who will join us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. How are you, my man? I'm very well, Joe. How are you? Are you excited for what's to come on Tuesday? Oh, uh, you know, I, I guess we can list our public service announcement now, right? For those that uh, that that uh, obviously we're here in the United States, um, just remember everyone get out on Tuesday and vote. If you haven't gone out and voted or voted by absentee already, um, it is your right as an American citizen. People have died for that right for for you to have that right, and you need to honor that uh, by exercising that right and speaking your voice. Uh, that is my public service announcement. To answer your question, no, I'm not excited about it because sometimes you wonder. Um, Things are going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. And then you're like, geez, should I actually leave to go to work on Wednesday? Um, and I'm not sure where I stand in between right now. Um, how about you? I mean, what, what, are, your, what are your thoughts? Are you you're going to get up early and vote? Or are you gonna... I am, yeah. No, definitely. I think it's certainly something that all of us have to feel very privileged in having this opportunity to go out and exercise our our right to vote. But yeah, I agree. I think there are those kind of fears and, and just uncertainty of what could come because mm -hmm. maybe the result that we want won't occur. Maybe we don't know if it happens in, in the, the next morning or, or anything beyond those lines. So it's mm -hmm. like, you never know. You don't know what to expect. So I guess expect the unexpected and hang on because it's going to be a, 
It's gonna be a bumpy ride, that's for sure. Like I always say, you know, when when some of these great teams that are that are major goal scoring teams get together for a match, I always say put a helmet on. Put mm-hmm. a helmet on. Um, you know, put two helmets on. Yeah, you might want to put two helmets on. But you know, to 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 kind of further what you're saying, there is um, you will get to a point where after this election, half of this country is going to not be happy. Okay, just think about that. Even even on the last election four years ago, half of this country was not happy. Uh, the idea, though, is that as as a United States of America. Whoever that person is that is elected on Tuesday, uh, we need to move forward as a nation and and start to grow together um, instead of continuing to grow apart. I think we've seen this separation um, of of ideals, this separation of people um, really festering now for, I would say, you know, eight, ten years. Um, It's not just been the four. it's, It's been a little bit longer than that. And and I think we need to find a way with regardless of whoever wins the election, whoever wins the Senate, whoever wins the House, regardless, that as a people, we need to find a way to reunite, okay? Yeah, we do have differences. We're allowed to have differences. We're human beings. But we need to find that common ground as people and build off of that common ground and then move forward because I think this this country and ultimately, you know, the world needs to find some healing, right? Uh, whether it be because of covid economic structures, you know, inequality, name, name the issue of the day, healthcare, whatever we need to, as a, as a people find a a common ground and then, and then from that common ground build together um, and, and, and understand that we are allowed to all have differences. We are allowed to have uh, differing opinions um, you say Messi's the greatest. I say Ronaldo's the greatest. See, but we can we can find a way to have common ground and common opinion and, and grow together. So um, that's I guess that's my other two cents. And now I've put four cents into the conversation, Rob. I think, I think... Uh, I'll put I'll put one more for Fair the enough. nickel. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think um, I think we've become so divided as a nation. And you know, you you wouldn't think that in a situation that not just what we're going through, but I think the whole world is where. You know, we're dealing with a pandemic. You, you would think that becoming this kind of um, nation, you know, even the example to some people, to, to most of the world, you know, this whole big democracy and whatnot, mm-hmm. it's not becoming that kind of, of shape. So we can only hope for that whatever happens on Tuesday or, or even if it has to take a, a long time for the result to actually occur, mm-hmm. that we learn and understand that we have to accept what comes and and just go with it. I think that's it's it's yeah. a cliche, unfortunately, maybe for some, but it's I think it's the only way to go. I Agreed. think. Agreed. You know, be civil, be considerate of your fellow Americans, allow them the proper space, the proper time to vote, and allow them to have their voice because you're allowed to have your voice. That's mm-hmm. plain and simple. That's right. Let's get back to football. Right. Yes. So, oh, <laughs> we're going to call it soccer. We, we had that discussion a couple of weeks ago. See, common ground. Um, yeah, there you go. And my friend, you today have the trivia. I do. So uh, we're going to do a bit of numbers, uh, you know, talking in relation to what we saw. We're going to see in the election on Election Day, this whole electoral votes mm-hmm. kind of thing the, to get the magic number 270. However, in terms of magic numbers, we did see a bit of history this week. Okay. So we saw, we, so everyone knows about Erling Holland, you know, this young Norwegian goal scoring machine that's been tearing it up for the last year or so. Uh, now at Borussia Dortmund, 
he became the first player in the history of the Champions League to score 12 goals in his first 10 games of the tournament. Unbelievable stat for for someone like him. Mm -hmm. So, having said that, can you tell me how many games, and I'm using these two names because this is the one that provide the example, and they're obviously the barometer, and they're like the the, the names that are, are always going to be up there in the in the history of the sport, and that's obviously Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. Mm-hmm. How many games did both those gentlemen needed to score 12 goals in the Champions League? Wow. All right. I'm just writing this down so I can... I usually, when you give me a trivia question, I kind of write it down on a separate piece of paper and I kind of stare at it during the entire show, trying to figure out what the answer could be. So, uh, Holland scored 12 goals in 10 games. Uh, how long yep. did it take uh, Cristiano Ronaldo to get to 12? And how long did it take Leo Messi to get to 12? In so, the Champions League, yes. Correct. In the Champions League. So, all right, we will give that to you in just uh, a little bit. Let's hit opening thoughts, my friend. And boy, we've got uh, we've got some news this time, right? Uh, and the news came down. I believe it was on Monday that Joseph Bartomeo has stepped down as president of Barcelona. Obviously, throwing Barca into terminal turmoil. It was done from what I have read in a Zoom call where there was a, a board meeting. Uh, Bartomeo expressed how Barcelona were entering or planning on entering into a European Super League, which has been a real hot button in many of the major leagues, as well as UEFA and and ultimately FIFA. And during that call, right in about the middle of it, he said uh, he's stepping down, and then the call ended, and that was it. And and Barca thrown into turmoil. This comes on the on the heels of losing El Clasico 3-1 to Real Madrid uh, on the weekend. Uh, Barcelona, obviously, uh, with a major response as a team, going to Turin, beating Juventus 2-0 in the Champions League. Uh, obviously, a, a Cristiano Ronaldo-less Juventus due to COVID, but nonetheless, still a, a wonderful performance by the Blaugrana in that match. Uh, but it leaves a lot of questions moving forward for Barcelona. Who will take over for, for Bartomeo? What do they do in the meantime? Um, Rob, we've talked about Bartomeo stepping down. We've talked about this before, most recently, when the whole Messi saga happened. And I and I said to you, and, I'm, and I know I've said it to others, that this was... For me, Messi's power play to remove Bartomeu. He Messi did not like the direction of the of the team of the club. He's been there forever, and part of the power play was either you go or I go. It wasn't quite played out that way. Messi was almost willing to take it to court of arbitration for sport to get out of his contract, and and I think without a world of COVID, you would have seen a Messi-less Bartomeu. Uh, uh, Barcelona rather than a Bartomeo less Barcelona, a uh, Barcelona as we sit here now. And I think this is the, the culmination of that power play for me. And, and, and so now we have our, our choice. Now the question becomes who replaces him, who comes in. There's a couple of, of names that, that uh, have been thrown around, but first I want to get your thoughts on how abruptly Bartomeo stepped down um, the whole situation and even uh, the team's response to it as they went to Turin. Well, I think it's really become, you know, clear that, you know, this was a Barcelona side that was unpopular or at least, you know, had a president that was immensely unpopular. Yes, Mm. they were able to win titles. They were able to be successful in their own right. But it's just the way that they've been managed and, and just the whole crisis that's been going on throughout the entire stage of his 
of his presidency that really just made you know Barcelona become the club that they are. Yes, they're still a financial giant in the way that they obviously be one of the highest paid teams, you know, the most recognizable clubs in the world. Yes, I understand that. But it's just the way that they've kind of lost their their way of be of becoming a side that's you know become more of a of a business you would say and, and rather like you know not believing that whole mess club you know the more than a club mentality where you know you see players coming from their academies from la masia and and you know also spending improperly as well as we've seen with some transfers that just didn't get just weren't uh going well um when they came in, so it's. It, it, I think it was certainly something that was all sudden. I think certainly the, the El Clasico loss at home was definitely the final uh, nail in the coffin for for Bartomeu, and and maybe it was, maybe it was the right choice, and maybe it had to be done like that. I think um, certainly they didn't want to suffer, mainly much more than they're already going through. You know, you mentioned the whole power play of what Lionel Messi and his future was with the club, but even before the start of the season. Maybe it was a power play. I think it was. I think certainly he understood that his and he and he said it in his in his interview when he confirmed that he was saying that you know he was discontent with the board. He was discontent with Bartomeu. You know he wasn't. He didn't feel as if though he can be at this at this stage of his career, which maybe might be his last. We don't know. And, and you know I think that was going to always be the big debate um, this season. It's like you know is this Lionel Messi's last season at Barcelona because mm-hmm. he's obligated to stay he's obligated to stay one more season then leave on a on a free mm-hmm. now with Bartomeu gone a lot and the a lot of the board also set to leave this comes into question what happens from here it definitely increases his chances of staying I think mm-hmm. now but I think it all depends on who's coming in you know I think it all depends on some of the candidates that we see you know uh, we saw Laporte John Laporte the former president who was successful in his first stage uh, from 2003 to 2010 where Barcelona were the giant that they would become now in 2020. Um, you know, he announced his intention to become president. Victor Font, another one who tends to, from what we know, has a good relationship with with Lionel Messi, who wanted to build a, or aims to build a new Barca, like focused on La Masia and, and even trying to get in a coach like Xavi um, to come in and, and coach the club, who obviously has a good relationship with Lionel Messi. So, it's it's going to be interesting. It really is going to be interesting. I, I think it was definitely a long time coming. Um, I think certainly it's something that the fans and and many people who follow Barcelona were, were waiting to hap- to see happen. But now mm-hmm. everything's on. Everything's kind of up in the air. I think you know we we talked about a presidential election here in the United States, but now one at uh, at Barcelona is just as interesting because it now depends that whoever becomes the president and obviously we get elections next year early next year i believe um that might indeed influence having your best player um either stay for for a couple of years and even retire there or let him leave i think certainly that that's going to be the big factor but again you know i think um i think certainly was a decision that had to be done because it was just heading towards a an abyss, I would say, and it, it, there was no way of going out if, if he was just going to continue to stay. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think even ultimately, if you when you looked on the pitch, the team looked a little lost, uh, especially in that match against Real Madrid in El Clasico on the weekend. They just th- this team for some reason was not gelling. Now it could have been the distraction of what was going on up above them. Uh, who knows? Um, you know, looking at some of the candidates, like you had mentioned, Victor Font is one. 
Um, he's a, he's an investor, uh, has not had a, a part in the or has not been president of the club. Joao Laporta uh, is is also one of the names that's been mentioned, but he was president from 2003 to 2010. So uh, many, many are saying bring back Laporta. Some many are saying do not bring him back. So it, it becomes a question. I guess now we go back to the messy factor. Right. Uh, I think, like I said, the. The, the fact that Bartomeu stepped down, that he's left, has, has exponentially increased the odds of Messi staying and finishing his career at Barcelona, which I think is probably something he always wanted to begin with, seeing that he's been there for so long. Um, so I, I think that part has increased, but I think also who comes in and steps in is going to either further that quote-unquote dream or it is going to end it early if... if if Messi's not happy with whoever's brought in and, and the ideas and, and the plan, then you could very easily see June 1st come along. Messi goes, I'm out, and then and then just finds another home and just is done with it. Uh, you could also see whoever comes in being the, uh, the the right person, and and then Messi you know continues with this one year contract situation until he decides to not play football anymore. It's 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 going to be interesting, and I believe that the elections for for the Barca front office are going to be held within the next ninety days, uh, as by their bylaws, and and we'll get our answer and we'll find out if this is the the messy guy that or the guy that Messi wants. Or the guy that he doesn't want, that the guy that he doesn't, um, you know, approve of, and and you'll probably be able to see it in, in terms of his play and the team's reaction uh, moving forward for sure. So, but it was certainly shocking. I, I don't think we expected this to happen this quickly. I think I think we expected kind of things to move along and just and happen. Bartomeu had really no no reason to step down other than there was a petition signed by twenty thousand fans that they should hold elections and and you know, move, move through the process, but Bartomeo kind of nipped that. Do you, do you think that was something that he did to kind of, you know, take the shame out of the election and the process and just, you know, kind of cut it off early, saw the writing on the wall and said, you know what, I need to get out of here and just kind of cut it clean. What do you, what are your thoughts on that, Rob? Yeah, it's, it's so weird because obviously we don't know what his real main motive was. I think obviously I'm sure the day will come while he, when he talks about that, but yeah, I, I just think that maybe he just didn't want things to get as bad as it is, and and certainly, you know, in in such a perfect timing as well with with El Clasico, I think it it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think you know, it's it's definitely makes sense of why he would want to want to leave at the stage. I mean, but it's again, it's such it, it the club in itself has been dysfunctional, and certainly it'll be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, because, you know, with this new president that comes in, you know, there has to be life after, you know, Messi, you know, you mentioned life with him, but ultimately there has to be life without without him as well, you mm-hmm. know, and then and obviously, you know, it, it all depends on who's coming in, who do they want, what is their real plan, what, where do they want to be, you know, I'm sure their, their main objective is, yeah, to be the best team in the world again, yeah, I think that's ultimately what they want to do, and and you see teams that are rich beyond our wildest dreams trying to grasp that title um, uh, for them. And I think Barcelona need to understand that they cannot continue to continue to fall short in terms of what they've already been through and, and the expectations that have been placed on them for so much time. Exactly. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and the, the steps that they've taken, or at least they've taken the Champions League so far in this difficult group for them, you know, battling Juventus, I, I think only bodes well for them. And obviously the, the La Liga season is very, very young and very early. So 
plenty of time to turn that ship around as well and, and get things focused and moving forward. So um, let's table our conversation on Joseph Bartomeo and the, uh, the the happenings at Barcelona. And let's get our guest in here um, joining us from Sock Takes, uh, Nipun Chopra, a friend of the show who we haven't had the chance to speak with in a very long time. We're very excited to get him back on the show and discuss Man United as well as many, many other things. So without further ado, the Nipun Chopra interview. Joining us now on Low Limit Football from Sock Takes, Mr. Nipun Chopra. Nipun, welcome back to the show. It's been a very, very long time since we've had you on, and we're glad to have you back. I, I want to open with Manchester United, um, who we know is near and dear to your heart. Obviously, great success midweek uh, in the Champions League, but really looking forward, we have a massive match for them this weekend against Arsenal. There is an opportunity here to move up the table, uh, you know, especially now that they're currently sitting 15th at the time of this recording. There's their success in Champions League, obviously with with victories against uh, RB Leipzig and PSG, has not quite translated into their Premier League success. So, what are your expectations and your thoughts going into this Arsenal match coming up on the weekend? Yeah, it's going to be a really fun match. First of all, I'm really looking forward to watching it. It's almost always fun to watch Man United Arsenal. I wouldn't say always, but almost always. Uh, there's a great history, and uh, and both teams tend to play an attacking brand of football and often are susceptible in defense. So it often is a good game for the neutral as well. Um, but to, to your question, I think it is true that United is playing uh, in an uneven manner right now. I think United started the season very poorly uh, with the loss to Palace. Uh, and then, of course, uh, uh, you know, a, a win against Brighton that if anyone watched the game, they would know that United did not deserve to win. Brighton, dis- Brighton hit the post like ridiculous amount of times uh, and uh, <clears throat> United were lucky. Uh, and then, of course, the big one is the loss to Spurs. Um, what Oligar Solskjaer would say is that, that was, all of that was a hangover from the fact that United had a very poor uh, preseason because they really only had one week of preseason training because most of the players were on extended breaks after the Europa League semifinal run. Um, I don't know how true that is. I think Solskjaer has to take some of the blame on himself, especially for the Spurs game, where he was completely out-coached uh, by uh, Jose Mourinho. Um, but there are signs, right? The, the PSG game, unlike unlike the PSG game from two years ago, where United were just lucky to win from a last-minute penalty uh, awarded to uh, Diego Dalot that Rashford put away, I think the win, I'm curious what you both think, but... Uh, both as a United supporter and I believe as a fairly uh, un- fairly reasonable uh, football watcher, I genuinely thought United deserved to win against PSG. And I think that counts as significant progress. I, th- I think the result against PSG was quite in- uh, incredible and deserved. What do you all think? Uh, you know, I'll, I'll jump in first. You know, I, I thought it was deserved as well. They They really... You expected United to sit back and and kind of just soak in what everything PSG would throw at you, but they they really didn't do that. They 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 had this attacking style to them that um, really put PSG on the on the back foot. And you think about the changes on the back line, losing Thiago Silva, um, right. really kind of questioned their ability to defend. And I think it was it was brilliant. It was it was quick, and um, I think I think it was well played given the situation PSG is in in terms of restructuring their defense and, and giving the attacking pieces United had, I, th- I think that was the, the the proper way to go about it. And and obviously it, be, it was successful. You know, Rob, what were your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I agree. And I think certainly they, they needed that. I think they understood that it was going to be a tough group for them to qualify anyway. When you look at the opponents that they have in PSG, Leipzig and Istanbul, I think they really needed to get that result. And especially away from home, which, you know, mm-hmm. PSG, you know, tend to do it well at home in the Champions League. And, and certainly they needed that. I think they understood and, you know, jumping into now. My next question about that Champions League run, I think certainly, you know, they're on to a, a good start, I would say, you know, a 2-1 win over there in Paris and then a 5-0 thrashing to Leipzig, yeah. a Leipzig side that, you know, I think are still trying to get, um, trying to know each other um, with, mm-hmm. without the, with the loss of Tino Werner, but are still doing well in the Bundesliga, if you if you recall, but certainly was a surprising win, I would say, for, for Manchester United to get that result. And I think the big name that comes into place was Marcus Rashford. I think he's someone yeah. that, and of course, as we, at the time of recording, it's his birthday. So happy birthday to, to Marcus Rashford. Um, for everything that he's doing off the pitch with his like campaigns on the issues of homelessness and child food poverty in the UK and just like using his platform to be like this political activist and, and driving change, I think it's incredible. I, I think certainly what he's doing off the pitch is, is great, Napoon, but on the pitch, he's been just fantastic as well, and, and it's rightly so. I think he he's at the right stage of his career, you know, at 23, where he wants to be the main or one of the main stars for Manchester United, really wants to step up. And and it looks, at least what we're seeing in this season, that he's, he's starting to to really continue his form that he's been doing for, for quite some time. Yeah, Marcus Rashford is a really interesting one. And, and as you point out, I echo everything you said, Rob, about the stuff he's doing off the field. Uh, you know, on the field, he's a great example of United's season so far because he started the season very poorly by, by his own standards. Uh, he was uh, missing in games. He was missing simple passes. And then, boom, the last three games, he has been back to his his uh, self from the end of last season. And, you know, something that's that folks forget, uh, along with the fact that, of course, he's young, is that he has had to adapt to three extremely... You, can, you cannot think of three more different managers than Louis van Gaal, Jose Mourinho, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And for Marcus Rashford, both tactically as well as the way they man-manage people, right? In Louis van Gaal, you had someone who was completely standoffish with his players. Mourinho, you had someone who was extremely in their face. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is someone who puts his arm around the players. Tactically, Louis van Gaal, possession-based, the old tiki-taka style, without even really involving anyone except in the final third in the attacking uh, uh, phase of the play. Jose Mourinho, we all know. Uh, bank of 10, one, uh, one attacker who's there to keep the uh, central defenders busy, and then you have you know, the counter-attack. And then Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who's a bit of a match between the two, in, in between the two of them. So Marcus Rashford has learned from three different managers has learned different tactical systems. And I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to benefit from that. He's going to benefit from a more well-rounded Marcus Rashford that he has been able to inherit. And I think the sky's the limit for the Mar- for Marcus Rashford. I know we talk about Kylian Mbappe, but I would not, personally, wouldn't swap Kylian Mbappe for Marcus Rashford. That's how high I think Marcus Rashford's uh, ceiling is. Uh, I believe that he has the potential to be one of the 10 best players in the world within the next couple of years. I mean, uh, and yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. I think uh, I, I agree. I think it certainly is someone that is very talented. I think it's someone that is kind of one of the main stars that not just Manchester United has, but also what England has England, in, yeah. in a generation of great players. I think he's certainly maturing into becoming a, a good, a great player, I would say, and, and perhaps one of the best 
if he continues it. And and certainly it must have been difficult for him to to adapt to three different managers at such a young age. It, you have to give the benefit of, of the doubt to him. So, yeah, I agree. I certainly agree on, on what he can do. Yeah, and, you know, something he's added within the last two years that he didn't have is being able to influence the play from darker, uh, darker, from deeper positions. So, you know, something we always associate with Marcus Rashford is his pace, is his ability to break the lines, right? That that we've known since he came on, burst onto, this, uh, onto the scene, uh, you know, Europa League game at 18 years old, scored a, scored a brace, and then the same weekend scored a brace against Arsenal. Bam, he'd, he'd uh, uh, you know, basically arrived as this pacey, a uh, striker that we had seen before as Man United supporters, uh, players like Danny Welbeck, right? So, but what's different about Marcus Rashford within the last two years is that within the zones in which someone like, uh, you know, Juan Mata operates or, uh, or attacking midfielders operate, Marcus Rashford has been able to influence play from those zones, which he would not have, exp- which he did not do earlier. So his passing has got better. His crossing has gotten better. He's intelligent to play, uh, passes that break the lines have gotten better. I'm not saying he's the finished article there, but I think that's where I've seen the most incremental improvement because the other stuff, him being able to beat players one on one, being able to beat players on, uh, you know, like he's embar- like he embarrassed uh, uh, Chiellini a few, few years ago, right? That hasn't changed. But I think the other stuff, he's becoming a more well rounded, finished article. Hundred percent. I think it will be very interesting to see how he develops into this great player, and and how it will hopefully influence Manchester United's uh, season uh, mm-hmm. throughout. But looking into some of the players that they came in, that came in yeah. this season. Yeah. I mean, certainly we saw the transfer of Donny Van de Beek, who you know is obviously getting some playing minutes and is trying to to find his feet there. I mean, we saw the transfer of Alex Telles, who I think only played one game uh, so far at um, since his transfer, and that. Yes, yes, that's right. And then Edison Cavani, you know, certainly that's going to be a, I think that was the most interesting transfer out of them all because you get a yeah. player that certainly is on, came in as, as a striker that, you know, had performed well at PSG, has, has had a great career. And, you know, obviously he's not perhaps in the in the prime of his career, you know, he's, he's 33, so he's coming into the twilight of his career, but he's still an effective and, and kind of that player that will give it its all no matter what club or what country he's playing for. I think he certainly knows that he comes in there. So, and obviously wearing the number seven shirt of Manchester United gives him a lot of pressure. But again, I mean, <laughs> how do you how do you assess these three transfers and how do you see them um, doing well at uh, Manchester United? Yeah, um, let's take them one by one. So let's start with Telus because uh, I'm I'm most uh, excited by him. Uh, I'll tell you why. Um, so Alex Tellis uh, is a player that uh, my friend Dave O'Brien, who who's known as Stat, uh, who's Statman Dave, he does stuff on MUTV, has been talking, telling me about for a long time. Um, of course, I watch little, uh, limited amounts of uh, uh, um, the uh, the Portu- Portuguese football. The little bit I'd seen of Tellis was because of Europa uh, Europa League and uh, Champions League uh, at Porto. And honestly, I was never that impressed. But the way Dave described him. It really took me until I would say the last six months to watch more of Telus and realize, okay, this is a this is a really good player. And the reason Dave ta- brought him up was because he is such a different fullback than the ones we have. So Luke Shaw, who I think is criminally underrated, by the way, is a very good fullback. He's a very good left back. He he, you know, he's often covering for other players. 
He's often covering for the fact that Rashford is pushed upfield and will not make the recovery run sometimes. And, uh, you know, that's why often the few times that he does get beat one-on-one, it's because he was actually two-on-one and it looked like he was one-on-one. So setting aside the Luke Shaw thing, uh, what Luke Shaw doesn't have anymore that we hoped he would have developed over the last three years when he uh, signed from Southampton, but of course he had that horrible injury as well about five years ago, uh, was his attacking play. While Luke Shaw will create spaces for others, it's very rare that he's able to send in the kind of delivery that the United strikers running onto the ball, such as Rashford, such as uh, uh, Martial and uh, and uh, Greenwood, would be able to finish uh, because his crosses tend to be hit with a lot of pace. So you need to have you know an Ibrahimovic level of technical ability to turn that in on the run. What he hasn't developed were his deeper crosses. And um, I think what Alex Tellis will be able to provide... Oh, let me back up. What that means is when you're an opposition uh, attack, when you're opposition manager, you can say, all right, we're going to keep our defenders narrow because we know Wad Wisaka is hopeless with the ball, as, as amazing of a defender as he is. And we know Luke Shaw is somewhat limited with the ball. So what's going to happen is as long as we're narrow, we're good in a defensive shape. What Alex tells will force uh, opposition managers to do is push their fullback or their winger out to meet Alex Tellis, which will create space for the likes of Rashford, for the likes of Pogba, who's starting to operate more and more from those left channels in which he thrived in at Juventus. So it's going to be a very important tactical piece, especially in games where we're going to dominate possession. Uh, Alex Tellis will be incredibly important. Um, Donny van der Beek. Very excited about him. Um, obviously, those watching United right now haven't seen much of him, but the little we've seen of him, he has been very good. He scored on his debut. Uh, he he is able to find those half spaces that uh, you know Juan Mata was able to fi- uh, is able to find as well. But of course, Juan Mata is getting older, and Danny Win- Van de Beek is more of a sec- support striker that I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer recognizes is something United needs because um, uh, Martial. Greenwood and Rashford are all thinking of getting into the the six-yard box or somewhere around the six-yard box. You need someone to hold the lines and uh, just behind them to to be ready for that cutback. And right now, it's Fred. And as much as I love Fred, uh, he's not going to be able to put the ball on the frame. Almost almost never. So having someone like Donny van der Beek who can link up the play and be a support striker is another tactical piece. Finally, Edison Cavani. Of course, I, uh, I, you know, what can you say about the, the career this player has had? Uh, a model professional. Um, I am also curious, Rob, uh, to your point, how this works out. Because I think the only reason he was signed, uh, and I believe he was fairly far down uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's uh, pick, uh, preference pick. Um, I think, you know, Ole realized that he'd struggled to sign the likes of Dybala before. Of course, Jadon Sancho, who would have played a slightly different role. So I think he was a bit of a, a last-minute addition to the squad. And I think what he adds is depth. I think he he's going to basically... So Igalo is going to go back to China in uh, three months, I believe, January. Uh, and I think what uh, Eddie brings is, uh, uh, first of all, a different, completely different um, style of playing because we now have... He's a target man uh, and very intelligent around the box. Um, but I don't see him... I might be wrong, but I don't see him getting to the getting into the starting eleven for for the big games. Yeah, you know, I, I'm going to step in. I'm going to step in for Rob on that one. I think I agree with you. I think 
for Cavani, I think it is going to be something that they it's going to be the spot start it's going to be he doesn't quite fit exactly what they want to do and like you'd mentioned Donny van de Beek is going to be that kind of hold-up player for them so I don't see them um using Cavani quite as much but yes he's he's more of a cover person he's more of a of a, of a relief style person at this point being 33 years old um you know from a Juventus standpoint you know now that we've got yeah. Alvaro Morata I I would have preferred Cavani and I think I think there are. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, you know, over Morata. You know, and of course, you know, I've I've got the the history here of the three offsides this week, but uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, but but and I I maybe I overrate Edison Cavani a little bit, uh, but I do find him to still be one of the top strikers when he's a finisher. You know, almost in yeah. that uh, in that Mauro Icardi role where if, if he gets his nose around the goal, he's gonna score. Uh, you know, it's it's almost guaranteed and he's made a career out of it. And I think he's been incredibly underrated as a striker. Once, yeah, once he left fair. Italy and, and went to PSG, I think he kind of fell off the radar a little bit. Many players that go to Portugal fall off the radar a little bit. And, and I think that's what's happened with Cavani, but Cavani has been doing it in and out, you know, you know, for years, you know, Rob, I want to throw that at you. And in your thoughts, I mean, as a, as a kind of supply striker, you know, as a, as a cover man, uh, as opposed to being the main person at uh, United. Well, yeah, and I think you don't want that much pressure. I mean, certainly at the age that he's at, I mean, he's certainly not the player that he was, you know, five years ago, but he's still an effective one, you know, like a workhorse and someone that will give its all uh, no matter where he's playing at, like I said. So certainly, again, I I agree. I don't think he's going to be the main striker to start week in, week out uh, for Manchester United, but he's someone that could come in when, you know, they're a team struggling for goals or missing chances. You come in and you put Cavani as that kind of super sub, and, and it helps out him. It, it really helps Manchester United out where he goes and scores because yeah. you know what you're going to get with him. I think his his work um, his workload and his, you know, his, his, his desire to always do the best that he can is, is incredible, and I think that's something that certainly Manchester United fans would like to see. I think a lot of people in the Premier League are excited to see a player like him. You know, I think... You know, it, it's someone that can really do well. But I think it's just even with that kind of limited time that he has, you know, maybe coming in as a sub or, or even becoming that occasional starter at times. Yeah. doesn't have to start week in, week out. I think it <clears throat> I think it really helps Manchester United out in terms of their depth and not having to try to, to tire him out too much. And, and what is a really aggressive season where you're playing, you know, every other week, every other day and. And you know maybe three at the game every three or four days. It's it, it could take a toll on you. You know, I, even to echo that a little bit further, um, the one word you bring up is work rate, right? He he has an incredible work rate. He's always going to give you his most on the pitch, his best, his hundred percent, if you will. And and I think that is a massive plus for United. Um, for when you do put him out there, you know you're going to get his A game. Whatever that A game may look like, it is going to be his best. He will leave it all on the pitch, and and I think that is a, a massive, um, a massive thing for morale. It's a massive example to set for for young players like Rashford and like and like Greenwood that are you know still nineteen and twenty three years old, even even twenty four year old Anthony Martial. It's it's a great example to to see and to have around that you see a player giving their all all the time, and and they know they're not going to get in every match, but. When they do get there, they do put it all on the pitch, and and I think that's a, a there's a benefit there aside from being the cover guy in the you know in the FA Cups and that sort of thing. He also becomes a, a leader uh, by example, and I think that's a that's a huge thing for United. 
Um, you know, that's a, that, uh, just to jump in very quickly, yeah. that's such a great point that you all make. Uh, in fact, I was just reflecting now. The the second Eddie came on against Chelsea, his very first touch almost resulted in a goal, which was a cross to the near post, and he flicked it, and it almost went into the goal. So there's a an X factor that... So first of all, I should say, Edison Cavani will be... Will become has the potential to become a cult hero amongst Man United supporters, right? He gives, like you said, the work rate is there, the the long hair is there. He's wearing the number seven, so there's all of this. Uh, the, you know, the the stars the are aligned. Table is yeah, the table is set for him to become a a legend. Now we do know that that didn't happen with Falcao, that didn't happen with Di Maria, that didn't happen uh, with other players that. We thought would uh, Basti Schweinsteiger, right? Uh, mm. So players that we thought would come in and kind of become cult heroes, it didn't go that well. So United is just a difficult club, but Edison Cavani is a fantastic player. And uh, uh, to your point, I think the biggest addition is the depth because if we reflect back to the end of last season, Oligan Sosha was forced to play the same, roughly the same eleven for the last ten to twelve games, uh, and I think that led to some burnout because the players on the bench just weren't strong enough. They were not nearly as strong as the starting 11. And I think with the addition of the players that have come in now, I think we do have more squad depth than, than before. And I should say, Axel Twanzavi is, is a defender that we really, really need to watch out for. Oh, it's it's um, depth is we've talked about it in this COVID era. It's depth is one of the biggest things to have in a club. It's it's as important as anything else uh, on and off the pitch. It seems these days. So, um, and I know we're going to talk about COVID a little bit before we let you go. Yeah. But I but I'm going to actually throw you a quick little monkey wrench. Okay. Um, nice. Obviously, you have uh, you make you've made many many appearances on SiriusXM with Jason Davis on uh, you know uh, what is it uh, on Tuesdays. Um, yeah. And, uh, and and talking about USL second division uh, D two Tuesday, and I want to get your thoughts on the USL championship, which is going to be played on Sunday night between the Tampa Bay Rowdies and the Phoenix Rising. Um, for me personally, uh, being you know a newly minted Hartford Athletic supporter, uh, with their team being here just two years, I was I was really hopeful, and they really lost uh, to Louisville City on that last minute goal at home, which was pretty heartbreaking. Um, what are your thoughts on this uh, this championship coming up tomorrow? <laughs> well, let me throw you a wrench right back at you. All Just right. before we start recording, I heard through some sources that the the game is canceled because some of the rowdy players tested positive for uh, COVID. Wow! So there's there's a wrench to your wrench. Uh, <laughs> but if the if the game uh, does go ahead, I do fancy Tampa Bay Rowdies. I think they've come close in previous seasons. Um, obviously, before the season, I predicted Louisville would win and uh, Tampa beat them beat them in the semifinal. And I'll be honest with you, I haven't watched a single minute of American soccer this year. So everything I'm basing uh, my answer on is reactionary and without any knowledge of how the teams are actually playing. <laughs> I haven't even watched any highlights, so I should preface that. But just based on my understanding of Tampa Bay Rowdies versus Phoenix, I, I, I would give the edge to Tampa Bay Rowdies. And I'm not an aficionado of the USL, being that the matches that I've watched have mainly been the Hartford uh, matches. But I, right. the fact that I've watched more USL than you is scary this year. Yep. Um, for yep. sure. I've, I've decided not to watch any American soccer this year uh, because I was very unhappy with how with all of their decisions. And uh, anyway, well, let's let's get into some of those decisions. then, because obviously, you know, before we let you go, um, if, if you're, you know, to the listeners, if you're friends with Nupun Chopra or, or even me on Facebook, um Nipun drops some of the absolute best and, in my opinion, most accurate knowledge on this COVID pandemic um, in his on his page. 
and uh, I've shared a bunch of it. It it is incredibly insightful, and I want to get your reaction. We can we can talk about the MLS treatment uh, in the bubble and. And all that really, they were the first, you know, many people give uh, the NBA the credit for, oh, the bubble, the bubble, the bubble. It was really MLS that that originated that bubble. Um, And, you know, we can get your reaction on that. We can get your reaction on Germany and France actually this week closing their stadiums. They were allowing fans in. Uh, They are closing their stadiums uh, because of the covid pandemic, the the increase in cases. Um, I, for myself, will be attending the Toronto FC Inter Miami match tomorrow night in Hartford. Uh, where Toronto has moved all their matches to the United States and moved their home matches to Rentschler Field in East Hartford, Connecticut because of the pandemic and travel restrictions. Um, I, I mean, there's a million things we can talk about, Napoon. So, uh, you know, let's let's start with, with your opinion of the state of the pandemic right now and where we're heading as, as a nation and as a world. I think we're headed in the, the wrong direction in terms of the number of cases. So, so I should answer uh, at a larger uh Force level. The force level answer is we are headed in the right direction overall. Mm-hmm. What do I mean by that? We are headed in the wrong direction in the total number of cases, but we're headed in the right direction in our dealing of those cases and how we how the medical uh, um, services have been able to deal with what is it. If we had, what I'm saying is, if we had eighty thousand new cases in April, there would have been probably five thousand deaths from just from those 80,000 cases at the start of the pandemic, mm-hmm. okay? So our dealing with the pandemic, with the, the drugs we know, uh, with our use of when or when not to use ventilators, at the start of it, pretty much everyone was given a ventilator. Anyone showing in the hospital was given a ventilator, and we learned that that was bad. Um, so the drugs that have come on board, <clears throat> the medical knowledge, uh, the ER services, all of those mean that we are at a better stage in terms of the medical response to increasing cases. But there's a tipping point because hospitalizations are also going up. And uh, there, was a pay- there was an article yesterday in NPR, uh, which I shared, which basically said that the hospitalizations even are underreported because of the way certain state governments are coding the data, which is just to me is it's. I, I don't want to exaggerate, and I've been accused of this, uh, but I'm going to say it anyway. I, to me, it's it's equivalent to a war crime. Uh, mm-hmm. The way the way the government has got in the way of helping its own citizens to me is 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 a war crime, or or um, you know whatever. It, it, it's absurd to me. Um, but I also think we are headed in the right direction in terms of vaccines. I really do think that, and this this is I've believed this since probably since uh, June, that we will have one approved vaccine before 2020 ends. Does that mean that people will get it in 2020? No, but we'll have approval at the end, by the end of 2020, and which means we'll, uh, the folks who are at high risk will get it during the spring of 2021, and it will become more and more widely available <clears throat> through uh, 2021. So in that sense, you know, I, I'm optimistic that we are starting to turn a corner but th- the problem is the problem is that the government has basically taken an unofficial policy of herd immunity. They're not saying that they're doing that, but they've basically said, look, people are going to get it. Some people are going to die. We got to keep the economy going. And that's really the policy of the government, which to me has led to way more deaths than 
should have. If, if, if we had done simple things like encouraging mask wearing, I mean, how simple is that? Encouraging man, I've said this, we need a national mandate for, ma for mask wearing, not mm -hmm. optional to the states because you have people like, you know, uh, the person, uh, DeSantis, I guess I'll say his mm -hmm. name, down in Florida, who is, you know, you have governors sp spreading misinformation about masks. So it has to come from the right at the top. We need a nationwide mask mandate to help us through what will be a very tricky winter because cases are going to continue to rise and we haven't hit our peak in number of total cases. I'm guessing our peak will be 120,000 new cases every day sometime in December. Wow. Wow. I, I, you know, and, and I agree with you. It, it seems like the cases are on the rise, but we're not seeing quite as many deaths. And, and I and, and I agree, although many will politicize the issue. I do think it's it's the what we have learned. And, and unfortunately, not unfortunately, fortunately, science works that way right i mean science mm -hmm. you you learn from the past to project into the future and when and in the present you learn new facts based on what you've applied from the past and you create a new future and then you and then you relearn and then you relearn and then you readjust and you relearn right it's it's evolving and i know many who want to politicize the pandemic will say oh the scientists were wrong no the scientists weren't necessarily wrong they were learning Okay, and once they've learned it, they've reapplied it, and and I think right now, if 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 we didn't know about the the treatments, and whether it be the, the the medicines we used or the way we manage the cases, um, if we if we didn't learn those things back in April, May, or June, we right. would we would be seeing five thousand dead a day right now today, um, with eighty thousand plus cases a day. You know, it would be a disaster. Exactly. I also agree with you that you know. Uh, I, I think a mask mandate is should come. I I know, and again, this is not something I want to politicize, but we we've seen masks work. I, I'm I'm living proof of that. Okay, I'm yeah. I'm in and out of locations every day that have either active cases or have had active cases. I've been in contact with people that um, might have been suspected or have developed cases after I've left. Um, I have not contracted the virus, at least as far as I know as of yet. Um, oh, actually, no, I haven't because I've I've gone eleven for eleven on COVID tests. So you know, I, <laughs> nice, well done. You know, so I, you know, it, it absolutely, and I can't express enough how I think that me washing my hands, me wearing gloves, me wearing a mask, me being careful with the things that I do, the places I go, and the situations I place myself in. Um, have contributed to that, not only to the to my own personal health, but the health of my family, uh, the health of my parents, the health of my grandparents, um, my right. in-laws. I, I mean, this is this is the tree. You know, everyone's like, oh, you're going to get it. It's not about you getting it. It's about when you get it, where you bring it. Um, right. That is that is the nightmare. And I can't tell you how many times, you know, in April and May where I I'd strip naked in my garage after a day of work because, you know, I've been in and out of so many places. I don't want to carry it into my house. So, you know, if it was on my clothes, I'm, I'm taking my clothes off. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm showering immediately. Um, there are things that I do. I, wa I want to say that I, first of all, I want to say that I see you and that I I want to applaud you for being vigilant. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the great tragedy, my friend, of, of this pandemic uh, and what makes this virus so unique, so different, is that asymptomatic spread, which is which means that that folks like yourself who are doing all the right things are can very easily be undone by folks who think this thing is not a problem, right? right. And that's 
that's what makes it so dangerous. Unlike other diseases, right? Other diseases, let's take let's take the worst disease you can imagine, Ebola, mm-hmm. right? If someone has Ebola within 24 hours, they will start showing symptoms. Mm-hmm. And until they start showing symptoms, they're, they're not going to be able to spread the virus, right? Right. This disease, not as scary as Ebola, but way more infective, is the, the problem is that you're just spreading the disease even if you are not showing symptoms. And that's what makes this so unique, so dangerous, and so different even than the original coronavirus spread, which was uh, the SARS epidemic in 2000. 2003 excuse me so even i guess first of all i want to applaud you for doing all the right things and putting in all the effort uh and it's a great tragedy that other folks can undo all of your hard work just by being irresponsible on one day yeah i agree um it's a matter of personal responsibility i couldn't i couldn't express that more um and, and again as as you keep dropping that knowledge i'll keep sharing it because i think it's it's incredible stuff so um before we do let you go uh, where yeah. can people find your work? Yeah, you can find my work uh, at Socktex, that's S-O-C-T-A-K-E-S, uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Nipun Chopra 7 Awesome stuff, man. Nipun, thank you for joining us. It's always a pleasure. It was way too long, and I'm glad we were able to get you back. All the best of luck uh, in the future, and let's not make it so long the next time. Agreed, guys. Take care of yourselves. And special thanks again to Nipun Chopra for joining us on the show Rob, we have some great matches of the week this week. We, ha- we really have an incredible week of football this week. So let's, let me get into it right away. On Tuesday, starting out with the Champions League, we have two great matches to keep an eye out for. Atalanta-Liverpool at 3 p.m. and Real Madrid-Inter at 3 p.m. as well. Those are going to be some of the highlights of the week there. Wednesday, RB Leipzig-PSG, 3 p.m. You know, talking all about Manchester United. This, is, this match is going to go a long ways into determining who gets that other shot because I think right now Manchester United in the driver's seat. And Thursday... At 3 p.m. in the Europa League, AC Milan and Lille will take uh, place. And then we move on to Saturday, 12.30 p.m. We have Der Klassiker. If you, I can't believe this one snuck up on us. Dortmund, Bayern Munich, Saturday, 12.30 p.m. Then we'll get PSG, Rena, and Ligon at 3 p.m. And then on Sunday is a massive, massive day. We're going to start out very bright and early with Lazio-Juventus at 6.30 a.m. We're going to give you two Serie A matches because right after it at 9 a.m., Atalanta-Inter will come at you. From there, we will head over to England where Manchester City-Liverpool, 11.30 a.m. And then we're going to get to wrap up the day with Valencia-Real Madrid at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, Rob. Sunday is going to be fun day, man. You better make some coffee or, or whatever. And, uh, and you know I don't drink coffee. Okay, so. I, I'll make the coffee. We're going to get up early. We're going to be watching a lot of footy next Sunday. That's for sure, man. So that is your list of matches to watch out for this week. Why don't you give us the trivia question again, my friend? I will. And, and by the way, I'll drink mate, not coffee. I'll drink Fair, mate. You make the mate. I'll make, the, I'll make espresso. And we'll uh, okay, we'll get through that. the day together. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> right. So the uh, the trivia question, as I said before, uh, this week we saw Erling Holland become the first ever player to score in the history of the Champions League to score twelve goals in his first ten games. How many games did it take Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi to score twelve goals? So uh, obviously, I don't I don't know the exact answer, so I'm just going to shoot at it. And um, I think you give me two guesses on each one. You can give me a higher or lower when I give you a number. Okay. If that works. Okay. So let's start with Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm going to say he got to 12 goals in 15 matches. Higher. I'm going to go to 25 because I think maybe it took him a long time. Uh, how many How many 
answers do you want to give before that, your final answer? That's it. That that twenty five will be my final answer. Much higher. Wow. Much higher. What are we looking yes. at for CR seven? CR seven needed forty seven games my, to reach twelve goals. My goodness. All right, let's go to Messi then, because I'm I'm willing to bet Messi got there sooner than Cristiano. Um, and if forty seven is the is the barrier for Cristiano, I'm gonna go thirty five for Messi. This one is gonna be lower. Ooh. I wonder if he's like in the 18s. Let's 18. Higher. 20. Is that your final answer? 20. It's not 20. You're very close. It took him 25. Wow. Games. 25 games. So so think of what Holland has done um, to be able to, to do it in 10 games. We're two of the greatest goal scorers we will ever see in our lifetimes. Took them 47 and 25 goals or 25 matches respectively to do that. It's just an incredible feat for the youngster, and, and, and hopefully he will continue on that path uh, to what might be greatness. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely see. Well, um, their classicer is coming up. Maybe that's the one where he needs to step up and, and help Dortmund in that race for you, the Bundesliga. Could you imagine the talking points if he, if he scores a hat trick on the way to a Dortmund victory against Bayern Munich? Yeah, would, and especially beating Lewandowski. I mean, that would be Huge, absolutely huge. At the same time, when they've closed the stadiums again in Germany due to COVID, mm-hmm. I, th- I think it would be a massive, massive story. Um, so we'll have to keep an eye out for it for our next show, for sure. So without anything left on the docket, my friend, uh, let me hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So for episode 303 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Nipun Chopra for joining us on the show. Next week, we will go over match day three of the Champions League and Europa League. We'll take a look back into the leagues. We will review Der Klassiker and give you all the latest breaking news around the world of football. So for episode 303 of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night. Good night.